Today's episode is sponsored by Britannica Digital Learning, who provide incredible nonfiction digital content to hundreds of Overdrive library and school partners. For years, millions of people have been trusted Encyclopedia Britannica as a phenomenal resource to learn new information about everything from historical events like World War II and the French Revolution to scientific works on animals, exploring space, the human body, and the wonders of our planet. So I was really excited when we got this as a sponsorship because recently, it was very on point, I was talking to Guy Branham on a recent show, and he actually, in his new book, he discusses how he goes in great detail at the beginning of the book, how as a child, he was obsessed with, with Encyclopedia Britannica. He would read them cover to cover. It's where he found his love for Greek mythology. It's where he it led to his lifelong obsession with always having kind of encyclopedias on hand. And the cool thing is, thanks to Britannica Digital Learning, you now have these ebooks and audiobooks of encyclopedias right at your fingertips, uh, both in Libby and on your Overdrive Library website. So it's never been easier to have a world of knowledge right at your fingertips. To find your library or school's Britannica Digital Learning content, simply search for them by name in the search bar in Libby or on their Overdrive website. If you are a library or school library selector, be sure to check out all of Encyclopedia Britannica's wonderful titles in Overdrive Marketplace today. I'm ready when you are. Uh, Hi, everyone. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. And welcome to episode 272 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. How you doing? (laughs) Good. Yeah, we're a little giggly right now. Um, I'm going to say it right now because we're buddies. I don't want to get her name wrong. Today's episode is an interview I did with April Genevieve Tuholke, who we, despite the fact that I spoke to her for a long time and we became buddies... I'm still terrified of saying her name right, wrong, so I wanted to make sure I got that right. So that's out in the front, and then I'll talk about what we talk about in a second. But how are you doing? How, I'm how are things? <laughs> Great. Good. Wonderful. Grand. We're well into October at this point. Yeah, we are. Although it's the day we're recording, like 80 degrees. So thanks, Cleveland weather. Weather talk. My wife and I. Yeah, we haven't had weather talk in a while. <laughs> Welcome back to Weather Talk with Jill and Adam. Uh, my wife and I well, at this point, went apple picking on Saturday. Um, but again, at the, the time of recording, that's a few days away. But uh, it's our anniversary on the on Saturday, which is the 6th. And we're doing apple picking in the morning, which is a tradition we do every year with our family. And then we're going out with our friends in the evening to, I don't know, celebrate being married. That's a thing you do. Sure. Um, hey, we did it. Six years, whatever. Uh, but we were joking because we love fall so much and with our all of our house stuff we've just been like really looking forward to fall and being happy and alex is like i'm wearing a sweater i don't care i'm doing it i was like oh yeah i'll probably have like an, a really annoying unnecessary scarf or something yeah because it's you can't you, who wants to go apple picking in like a tank top and shorts it's weird it's you think you, yeah. you need like a sweater or a vest or something so just be sweating while we're doing that the whole time um okay so Today's episode is an interview I did with April Genevieve Tuholke. But before I talk about that, how can people get a hold of us? They can go to our website, professionalbooknerds.com. All of our social links are there. We are on Twitter and Instagram, at ProBookNerds. We are on um, Viber. We have a Viber community where you can come chat about books with us. And the link is on our website as well. And you can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. Yes, you can. So... 
April has a new book out called The Boneless Mercies, which is kind of like a gender-swapped Beowulf. Nice. It rules. It's so cool. Uh, I interviewed her at BookCon in New York City, and she was definitely one of those people where I immediately bonded. We were talking about uh, tattoos and all sorts of stuff because she was thinking about getting a tattoo, and she saw my Harry Potter ones, and she wants to steal the idea, which I said, yes, please. Um, but we bounce all over the place. We talk about uh, her collection of titles that she has edited an anthology called Slasher Girls and Monster Boys, which is very on point for October. We also talk about her other story, Wink Poppy Midnight, which is awesome if you haven't checked that out yet. Um, we bounce all over the place. It was a whole bunch of fun. Um, she's definitely one of those people where I, if you look on her website, it's very like mysterious and like creepy. And I was like, oh man, is she going to be like very standoffish and like dark and brooding? Nope. Super outgoing. I Actually, Mallory and I talked about this in our last episode. Like, all these horror and like dark authors, they get all their darkness out on the page. They so do. That when you meet them, they're super nice and yep. engaging, which is funny. Uh, so I hope you guys like that. Anything else you think people should know about? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so either. Uh, thank you again to our sponsors from Britannica Digital Library for sponsoring this episode. We very much appreciate it. And I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation with April Genevieve Tuhalki on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Adam again, and I am hanging out at Book Expo America, and I'm very excited to be sitting with April Genevieve Tuhalki. Perfect. Nice. Uh, she is the author of several best-selling novels, including Between the Devil and the Deep Blue Sea and Wink Poppy Midnight, which is amazing, and I want to talk about that. Uh, her upcoming novel, The Boneless Mercies, will come out in this fall, and it had an incredible kind of six-house auction. There was a whole bunch of jazz about it before it even came out and you are one of my favorite writers of YA stories so I'm pumped to talk to you yeah absolutely thanks I'm not just saying that (laughs) okay can you maybe give people kind of an introduction to the boneless mercies first uh the boneless mercies yes I'm terrible at talking about my own books I will try good uh (laughs) it's it's a gender bent Beowulf story it's set in a fantastical version of ancient Scandinavia there's four girls they're um Outcasts, they're mercenary warriors, and they are—they want something more from life. They want to be remembered, and so they seek glory. And they're mm-hmm. going to go fight a creature, a beast that's slaying, um, slaying people in a yarldom nearby. So, so Beowulf is obviously like one of the most famous and oldest stories that oldest, we have yeah. in you know in the world. But what interested you in kind of taking on this story, especially having? the gender-bent version of it, which I love. What interested me? You know, uh, it started, I think, I went to Iceland three years ago, mm-hmm. and it was so epic and so mythic, and uh, I think that's where I decided to set something in Scandinavia. Did you know that token, mm-hmm. the token, yeah, had an Icelandic one. nanny? Really? And that's why so much, I mean, so he's really the founder of fantasy, as yeah. we think of it, but his fantasy came from the Icelandic sagas. I guess I, oh, I guess I could kind of see Elves. that. Yeah. Even the like the the way that the Shire and the way that the the world is set up uh-huh. is Icelandic sagas. Um, the gods, the ring, uh-huh. ring and swords. That's that's really big in the sagas. Yeah. So do you think his like do you think Mordor is kind of almost like a anti like tree of life sort of a thing? Yes, I do. Okay, I have never once thought about this, and I've read those books so many times, and now mm-hmm. I can't stop 
seeing the connection. Mm-hmm. So that's a, okay. So you went to Iceland, wanted to write something in Scandinavian, but I'm it, you went to with Beowulf instead of like a Viking kind of a, a saga type of a thing. Which well, I hadn't I hadn't um, been able to find any books that had female a group of female fighters that were friends. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of groups with like the lone wolf female character yeah. who's fighting on her own, and those are great. And I love those books. But not that they were friends, mm-hmm. and I wanted to, to write that how they helped and support each other to, to do this, you know, this honorable mm-hmm. deed. So that is where the, the Beowulf kind of yeah. comes in. That's so refreshing to hear about because I feel like so often when you see a female-driven story, it, I, more often than not, like it's like there has to be a a guy who somehow is like a major aspect of it, and just having a. Like, that whole rule on when you see movies and it's something about like two out of every three conversations a woman has with another woman is about a guy sort of a thing so it's super refreshing to to see this but did did you study Beowulf when you were in school I did oh oh I did and I actually still really like watching uh scruffy professors read it in old English on YouTube Uh look it up it's it's great and the thing is you can still even if you don't understand the words which I don't you still get something out of it. Mm-hmm. Something about the way that the words sound, and it, I don't know, it triggers something primal in me. Yeah. I don't know, I really like it. I, I have to tell you, I um, one of my coworkers is a good friend of mine who comes on the podcast all the time. Beowulf is like her jam. And so really? when I told her about this, I was like, so April's writing a, a gender-bent version of Beowulf. And like, I didn't even get Beowulf out. <laughs> she knew. And she basically tackled me and was like, I have so many questions for you. So Really? I, I would love to know why she loves it so much. Well, she's a big fan of Grendel, the, Grendel. the giant gardener version. Yes, yes, I know what So she about. was curious. I'm just going to use some of her questions. Did you kind of take any inspiration from his depiction of Grendel? I don't want you to get too much into the, you know, the evil of your book. You don't have to do that. But did you see inspiration in other versions, I guess, that you might have found? I mean, by the end, I think initially, but by the end, it was so different. I mean, there's been depictions of Grendel's mother and making her more of a sympathetic character, and Grendel too. Right. And I think that I did use, mm-hmm. and that is in my book, though I'm not going to say how, <laughs> uh, making the monster more sympathetic. Um, did you see the, the Neil Gaiman one? It was it's pretty gory. The Neil Gaiman Beowulf? Yeah, he wrote it. Uh, who was it direct? I can't think of it now. It was... Um, was that the kind of, like, animated it was sort, sort of, of animated. <laughs> yes. Okay, yes. yeah, I did see And I think Angelina Jolie was Angelina in it. Jolie was yes. Grendel's mother. Yes. Yes. Okay. And uh, there was a, a bit of that, too. Um, it was more... I mean, I think they were trying to modernize it, mm-hmm. but it was just really gory. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I think it did have an influence on me. But... <laughs> Although, why should Angelina Jolie is wearing heels? I don't know. It, yeah, that doesn't it make much me. sense. Well, it wasn't, wasn't there like a controversy because like the CGI version of her was like naked for two seconds yes, in the movie or something? Yes, yes, I know. People are the worst. <laughs> um. <laughs> but there are some scenes in there that are really powerful where Beowulf... Can I talk? I can talk about the ending. Yeah. Where, do, you, do you remember where he slices off his own arm? Yeah. To, right. Okay, that uh-huh. is good. Yes. I, I love how you asked me if you could talk about the ending as if I was like, do you mean of your own book? No, you can, no, no. you probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> no, not my own book. No, yeah. the movie. Uh-huh. I'm, 
getting some looks from your publicist across the table who's basically like, please don't do that. Please. I've actually had people do that and I had like Give away the endings it. of their own book. Mm-hmm. I'll throw it under the bus. B.A. Paris did it with her second novel that came out and her publicist was looking to be like, delete that, delete that. I was like, yes, I know. So we won't get into that. Um, you do a really, you know, we're talking about Grendel's mom being sympathetic in the movie mm-hmm. and I love the fact that you sort of show both sides of the character's life. Did it with Link Poppy Midnight and all these different things. Do you find yourself kind of drawn to those ca- characters that are more that aren't as flat? That of in course, one you know, of course. And I, you know, Ursula Le Guin said something once that stuck with me. It must have been an interview that she gave um, about how she doesn't find heroism that interesting what she finds interesting is people pursuing good Mm -hmm. the good aspects of themselves and Martin actually has a comment on it too about how everyone is good and bad and heroes are just people that pursue the good more Mm -hmm. and I think that is I mean are we all gray are we all complex yeah no one's like black and white no one no one yeah well and plus I think there's so much more it's so much more interesting to see the lead up of a character like the action that someone takes of course drives a novel whether you put it at the beginning the end or the middle but I always find more interesting that it's not the I had a conversation with Jessica Knoll recently and she said it's not the who done it that interests me it's the why done it and I think that fits with every type of well-rounded novel where it's just like okay yes someone killed someone or someone stole something or someone is terrorizing a village but to me, I'm more interested in why they're doing those types of things. And I think you've always done a really great job of conveying that. You know, I actually debated that idea when I was re- when I was drafting The Boneless Mercies because I had had a, a critique partner suggest that I give the girls a reason to go after this monster, like it had killed someone they loved, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I made a conscious choice not to do that. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a reason other than just wanting, for once, to do something grand yeah. and heroic. And... You know, but I'm, to me, that's the why. Like, that's, <laughs> that is the, that's why. the why. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it, it doesn't always need, like, I think as long as you provide that, like I said, you so often you'll see, and a lot of times in YA characters, in YA books, you'll see a, an evil person or like a mean girl's version of someone in a high school book. And it's just, they are just kind of shitty to be shitty. Like, and it's like, well, and you never learn why and it just feels very flat. So to me the grand experiment of them being like we just want to do something memorable like that's the why to me that is the why yeah how much did you concern yourself with trying to put other aspects of Beowulf like how close did you were you ever worried about like okay I should stick to certain parts that are in the story or was it more so there's an idea of Beowulf and everyone kind of knows that story and I'm gonna just kind of run wild yeah I just did what I wanted yeah pretty much that's, that's, a, that's a good answer. Um, how do you feel about, and this is another Christina question, I can't take credit for this, but how do you feel about the way that kind of quest motif and quest novels have evolved for female heroines? Like, do you think they're much better now, or is this something that, I know it's a very, speaking of grand things, that's a grand question. I mean, they're better because they exist. Mm-hmm. I'm even, you know, t- Token, Lord of the Rings, that what are the girls doing? Yeah. You know, that I love those books, but you know, <laughs> I, I think they exist more and that's I'm trying to, 
There was some, in the 80s, there started to be a few more of these. Uh, it's more appears. Is that a Quest series? Uh-huh. For, um, try, have there been any? Um, I tend to think of N.K. Jemisin's books, sort of. Oh, yeah. They are, there's sort of a, a quest in this. The first one, I'm not going to, this isn't a spoiler for a book that's like 15 years old, but the, the first of her, of her series it tells these three different stories that you don't realize are just three different timelines of the same person. So technically it's a, a cool quest. Structure. Oh, when when yes. it happened, I like the first time I read it, it was one of those when you are in a room by yourself and you actively like audibly yell at a book. You're like, "No. What? Hold on." Like so <laughs> yeah, I don't I, I think maybe that was kind of the reason my coworker had the question was because there's not a lot of a lot of them out there. So there's not a lot of them out there. Are these, are these things that you would continue to be interested? Like, I think when we were talking about Beowulf, like, I studied Gilgamesh when I was you in did? college. Yes. Uh, yeah. I was a freshman in a, like, advanced senior level, knowing nothing about what I was speaking of, hearing old professors read yep. Beowulf. Yep. Same thing with Gilgamesh. But, like, are there other classic stories that are male-driven that you'd like to Oh, that's a really on? good question. Yeah. There are. But you're not allowed to talk about them? I'm not allowed to talk. Can I ask you after we stop recording? <laughs> yes. All right, that's fair. Something else I love in your books is the atmospheres you you create. Like, the the way that you write, it reminds me. If you... I've actually... I actively looked at people's reviews, which I can do. I know authors don't love doing, but I, I saw words like hazy and dreamlike and imaginative and haunting. A lot of hauntings. hauntings. You get a lot of haunting. Yeah. yeah. And it, remi- I, it reminds me, there's all these different books that have come out recently. Like, um, Winter Song by S.J. Jones, which is like a playoff, uh, The Goblin King the and The Labyrinth. Yes. And she kind of did the same thing where you're not, it's almost like the book is like circular. You're not entirely sure where you are in the story until you get to the end. Do you find yourself like actively being like, okay, I want to take the reader on a journey where they're not quite sure what to expect until the end? Like, I feel like there are straight line stories and then there's like you... <laughs> kind of weave I don't know if I do it on purpose so much as I just I think as a writer get bored mm-hmm. and I, I linear structure bores me yeah. and uh, so then I start playing around with it I don't know but is it something where like, is that maybe a reason why you would use like for Wing Poppy Midnight the yeah reason? that's more I mean Boneless is more linear I uh-huh. think um, Wing Poppy Midnight is yeah it does Boneless have multiple narrators in it this was one that i didn't get a chance to read ahead of time which i'm no about. no there's just one okay just one. so so did you find that challenging to go from like wing probably midnight where there are multiple narrators kind of keep yourself interested and i like yeah that was it's more fun to write uh-huh. wing probably midnight because i can keep switching up the characters and especially i really liked um poppy and wink i mean midnight more is the main the main driver of the story right you know but the other two I can play around with the voice a lot and uh-huh. that is as that's fun as the writer that's do you fun. do you find yourself starting out with an I mean obviously there's edits and changes to Jess but do you find yourself creating an idea of a character at the beginning of a book and then once you kind of learn their voice and learn their space yes it takes that? a while actually uh, I mean maybe 50 pages maybe longer before mm-hmm. I start hitting this, my stride and then I have to go back and start really fleshing out their character mm-hmm. yeah do you find yourself hatching that once you kind of get in a groove of one, actively removing yourself? I, I like to think that like when writers have different 
narrators. I almost like to think of someone who's learning a new language and immerses themselves in that language, and then they have to actively oh, think yeah. about English. Yeah. Is that something that you... Is it a struggle then to kind of get out of one voice and then go into another? I don't think it was with, with Wayne Crabby Midnight because they were so different. Mm-hmm. But I have read books with multiple POVs where I'm never quite sure who's, who it is. Yeah. And so... <laughs> Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky line uh-huh. to walk. Yeah. <laughs> you have to be very distinct. Uh-huh. But then, you, yeah, then there's no, there's no struggle. And then just from, like, the craft standpoint, with that, I imagine when you're from a day-to-day writing, like, you can create benchmarks for yourself because you can say, like, okay, finish Midnight's chapter. <laughs> Go from there. But for Boneless, when you were writing on it, do you ever concern yourself with word counts or get to an end of a scene or are there certain things, like, I know Pierce Brown talked about when he wrote the first uh, Red Rising book that he would like basically get kind of drunk to write his battle scenes, and then he would edit them in the morning. He did. Mm-hmm. That's brilliant. Yeah. So are there like are there? So he writes them drunk and then edits them the next. Mm-hmm. Which Hemingway did for all of his books, but he just did them Hemingway for his did battle. Hemingway did for all of his books. It's true. Huh. I Sometimes I'll do a shot of something. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You, you know, actually, you know what I do. It depends on where I am. I can't just drink if I'm at a coffee shop or something. I pull up my flask. But, um, I'm going to Irish up this coffee a little bit. I, I put on the soundtrack to the original 1982 Arnold Schwarzenegger, Conan the Barbarian. This is my favorite writing music I've ever heard. <laughs> that is what I play, and it is amazing. It's okay. magnificent. Can I tell you, I... Several times in college, I skipped classes with my various roommates because we would just watch Predator, and then we would watch Predator again. So why Conan? Like, is it is that like a movie you grew up with? Or I did grow up with it, but if you have you seen it recently? Uh, it's been a couple Re-watch years. Rewatch it. Not not the sequel. It's terrible. Not the newer one. It's terrible. The the original. Mm-hmm. The the music. There's, there's barely any speaking. It is such an atmospheric film. Uh-huh. It's just mainly the music and then these mer- Conan, mercenary warrior, mm-hmm. scenes of him running through the desert with his friend mm-hmm. and, uh, and this beautiful soundtrack. And it's, it's so epic. I love this so much. I, <laughs> so is it just Conan or are there other incredible random things that you listen to when you're writing? I, I usually turn to Conan. That uh, is amazing. <laughs> I'm trying to think of. Are there any other ones? I do, I'll do when I'm trying to write. I'll do Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh yeah, that's I, good. But because it, it's mm-hmm. very Danny Elfman is very like Elfman exactly. His um tulip the what's that new movie um with the tulips? The new movie with the tulips. Oh, I don't. With the girl. Uh, Listeners are just yelling right now, <laughs> trying to tell us. Vikander, um, the tulip fever. Is oh, that it? I, I have sound- not seen, Okay, I haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah, the movie's okay, but the soundtrack's really good at uh-huh. how does it. You know what? We, we've had a, a running joke the past couple weeks on the podcast. My co-host and I will talk about um, The Greatest Showman, the movie that came out recently. Yeah, Hugo, yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll laugh because it's, you know, it's all about um, P.T. Barnum. Yes. And the music is really fun. I heard and the music's I, fun. But... He was a terrible human being. Like he was a terrible human being. So like I that, cannot believe it got made. Actually, the stuff that went on, the animals. I, I had problems with. I could barely get the trailer. I know, and but that's the thing. Like my parents watched it, and, the, and I went on this huge diatribe. I got on a soapbox in front of my parents. I was like, "Let me tell you all the reasons P.C. Barnum is awful," and they're like, 
Yeah, we know, but this is But this music's fun. really good. <laughs> and then I felt for the same thing. I was just like, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, that was apropos of nothing. So, okay, can I ask a question about Slasher Girls and Monster Boys? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How does one go about kind of curating a collection? I'm always curious about these, like, anthologies and... How does one collect, go about like, doing How that? do you collect it? Like, was this something that you sought out authors and said, I want to do a certain thing? Or was, is it something you work with a, a publisher on? And You know, I I went about it recklessly and thoughtlessly and just came up with the idea and then it sort of happened. So I have no tips for you. Oh, well, yeah, it's us. I'm not trying to steal your <laughs> no, idea. No, 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 I don't mean that. No, I mean, but is it like I don't you, have a, a... But is it something like you wrote your story first and then you're like okay no I, no I had I talked to I was talking to a couple other friends and we thought hey we should do an anthology together and then mm-hmm. we came up with a, a theme and a title and then more authors got on board and uh, it was a while ago now and I'm trying to think if I could make that sound more clever no that's okay like, <laughs> I, so do but do you you know curate is such a fun curate museum yeah. where like you curated the content is it something that their their normal editors are kind of editing and paring down like do you ever have these conversations with your author friends and being like mm, that's not really what we're going for it just feels like it would be like a touchy subject to talk yeah, about yeah it is touchy i didn't okay. uh after i mean i just wrote those stories yeah and uh, then uh, you know my penguin editor edited them and that's sort of where my involvement okay that's <laughs> fair <laughs> that's fair okay um are these the type like bonus mercy and these kind of why horror are these the books that you're drawn to as a reader as well no okay can I have some re- some book <laughs> recommendations this is just a roundabout way to ask you well, for book recommendations I mean when I was when I was a teenager I read horror and I read gothic but I read a lot of things mm-hmm. um, I read a lot of Agatha Christie who I still read actually yeah. um, because you know why because I'm a fan of getting books from the free little libraries and reading them oh yeah absolutely and uh, and spontaneity of it, and there's mm-hmm. always an Agatha Christie book. Yeah, <laughs> that's a very good point. There always do you have is. A, do you have a favorite Agatha Christie book? I have a favorite. Well, I'm not to think about that one. I mean, I like. I mean, I don't know if I could even tell you if I like Poirot more than Miss Marple. Love Poirot. I, I love know. Hercule Poirot. He... Did you see the new movie? I did. What did you think of? Uh, not David Suchet doing Burrow. Uh, I what's his name? Kenneth Branagh. Kenneth Branagh. I like. I honestly was okay with it. I liked. I like him. The mustache was a little over the top. The must a little. <laughs> that was the was most over the top facial hair in the history of cinema. It was absurd. <laughs> that, I, yeah, no. That, there are people with handlebar mustaches that are saying that's an absurd mustache, but I liked it. I I thought it was. I, I was fine with it. I liked the way that it was shot. I thought it was very unique it was very visually. Unique. Yeah. It was her, it's one of her darkest stories. Yes. Very yeah. much so. And I think it did well enough. They're, I think they're going to keep making them. I so think it'll be interesting too. to see if mm-hmm. Kenneth decides to keep that mustache or go mm-hmm. this way. Um, but I think you were asking me something else. You were asking me Oh, book oh, recommendations. What? Like, what do you like reading? And then I asked I you. I read your everything. It depends on the season. You know, fall, winter, I get more into fantasy. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited about uh, Naomi Novik's next book. I'm really, I love to have read it. Um, but in the summer, I like to read uh, British authors like Jerome K. Jerome. If you've ever read Three Men in a Boat, okay. if you ever have a dark time in your life, mm-hmm. pick up Three Men in a Boat. It's. Okay. 
It's so great. I can do that. It's so funny. That's yeah, okay. and I like P.G. Woodhouse, you know. But I, I actually recently started listening to World War Z on audio. Yeah. Speaking of horror. And it's not like the movie, which I loved, mm-hmm. but it's uh, it's more an anthology of short stories, and the, and the narrators are excellent. Isn't it? I haven't read. Isn't it like an oral history kind of a? Yes. Yeah, yes, absolutely. exactly. So it is it very good. Max Brooks. Is that, yes. Yeah. 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 Mel Brooks' son. How dare their family be that talented? <laughs> I know. Um, I know. Okay. Towards the end of our show, we do nine lighthearted questions called the nerd nine not that anything i asked you ahead of time was that heavy the nerd nine. Okay, let's i do it. don't have them with me so i'm gonna try and remember them off the top of my head but what's the last book you finished reading the last book i finished reading uh a zane gray do you have a favorite place to read i like i like reading uh side in the sun do you remember the first book that kind of made yeah. you fall in love with reading <laughs> Oh, that's a good question. Am I supposed to be answering these quickly? No, we we used to call them rapid fire, and literally we had listeners that would send us messages like, can you stop saying the rapid fire word? It's not. You never ask them quickly, and then I get on tangents anyway. Okay. Okay. Um, um, the first... Uh, oh, that's tough. Um... I know. Look, can we come back to that one? Absolutely, okay. yeah. Um, okay, so do I you... so many. That's right. Are you a... What's one place you'd like to travel you have not yet been to? Scandinavia. Scandinavia. I mean, yeah. I've been to Iceland, which yeah. is sort of Scandinavia. Switzerland. Then. There's so many... I'm going. I'll be in Holland in yeah. next week. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm flying to London on Tuesday. We're doing Belgium and Holland. Another wonderful YA author who's from Holland, Marie, uh, Marie Nykamp. Yes, I know her. She yeah. and I are buddies because really? she was the first author I ever interviewed and now we're friends and that makes me super happy. Where, this, is she, where does she live in Holland? I think she's in Amsterdam. She is in Amsterdam? I think so. But cool. I have not visited her, unfortunately. Um, favorite holiday? Halloween. Halloween. <laughs> if you wouldn't have said Halloween, I would have called you a liar. <laughs> Um, what is... Are you a coffee person or a tea person? Oh, coffee. Yeah. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Do you have a favorite food? <laughs> also coffee. <laughs> that, huh. The next one's going to be even worse, just so you know. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Favorite? Maybe avocados. I really think everything's better than avocado. They're so good, and they're versatile. And I don't care if it's a cliche to say that. That's okay. Um, what If you could have dinner with one person, alive or dead, who would you pick? These are, these are hard questions. No, I'm sorry. Okay. I can give you a good answer. You know you who I want to... Oh, you got to The mysterious author of Beowulf. Yeah, the anonymous. But give me the answer you were actually going to say. I would... Susanna Clark. That's a great answer. She's so mysterious. I'm gonna. So she lives in Cambridge, and I'm gonna be there on Wednesday. Hunt her down. I'm hoping. I don't know how. I mean, how do I find her? And she would hate it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but if she, I could just run into her in a tea shop. Is she on Twitter? I feel like she's not no, on Twitter. No, she's nowhere. Yeah. Mm. And I, I think she's. Yeah. I just love her, and uh, I love her books, and. Her one book and her anthology yeah. that I've read multiple times. Did we stall enough for you to think of the book that made you fall in love with reading? I mean, I, I remember loving the Laura Ingalls Wilder books when I was young because I grew up on the prairie. Yeah. But, I, I mean, 
you know, Jane Eyre really got to me when I was young. Yeah. I mean, you That's know, a woman locked in an attic, you know. That I works. Mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, okay, you know. last question for you before you, I let you go. Okay. What do you hope readers take away from reading Boneless Mercies? To take away? Yeah. To celebrate the unsung hero. That's perfect. I had a blast, April. Thank you for joining us today. That was <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Yeah, this is great. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.